0: Hey there, I'm Ellen Mayer, and you're listening to Curious City, where we answer your questions about Chicago, the region, and its people. This week, we're talking about the little church that could, and how a modest congregation maintains a concrete oasis in the center of a big city. This week on Nerdnet, we talk with Hank Green, the creator of a whole slew of our favorite nerdy YouTube shows.
1: It's really weird to
2: see what people watch when you give them the opportunity to watch pretty much anything.
0: Nerd out with us every week at WBEZ.org slash podcasts. Who's the... What is going to be... When... Where the- do I... Why is it... How many... What is the... What? <laughs> Welcome to WBEZ's Curious City. I'm Ellen Mayer. People like you ask us a lot of questions about architecture and urban planning. But interestingly, very few have to do with religious buildings. That's one reason today's question caught our eye. We're talking about that round, concrete, spaceship building that curves along the corner of Wacker and Wabash in Chicago. Engraved at the top, in big letters, it says 17th Church of Christ Scientist. We'll tell you more about the Christian Science Faith later. But just to be clear, this is not Scientology or Seventh-day Adventism. Okay, now on to our question about the building. It comes from Monica Schrager. I'm curious about the 17th Church of Christ Scientist that sits on the corner of Wabash and Wacker and how it came to have that prime real estate and how it's managed to hold on to the prime real estate. Monica works right across the street from the church, and it's been on her mind for years. But even if you've never seen it, there are still a lot of reasons to be interested. For one, there are few churches at all downtown. And this one has snagged multiple architecture awards. And here's another thing. Today, the five-story church sticks out because it sits in a canyon of super tall, super pricey skyscrapers. And it stuck out when it was built for another reason, because this area was a no man's land. So to answer Monica's questions, I'm going to tell a story the story of a congregation that decided to put down roots in an improbable location with an improbably cool-looking building. To help tell this story, let's hear from Dave Holy. He worships at 17th Church.
2: You know, I think a church will uplift a neighborhood generally, and I think that's part of what has happened here.
0: Holy says the 17th Church congregation formed in 1924 exactly because they felt there was a need for Christian science in downtown Chicago, which is a little unusual. Most congregations, Christian Science or otherwise, built in Chicago's residential neighborhoods. But Seventeenth Church wanted to be in the middle of the gritty city. And for decades, they rented around downtown. By the late 1940s, the congregation wanted its own building.
2: They looked at a lot of locations for a long time. And they were pooling some funds to be able to buy a plot of land. And this one was one they knew about for a long time, but... It didn't really interest them because it wasn't very central.
0: Crazy, right? That corner of Wabash and Wacker along the Chicago River, that wasn't central enough? Well, in the 40s, the area was on the outskirts compared to Michigan Avenue and the Loop. Of course, the church did buy that property, but then the congregation needed someone to build their church. In the early 60s, the church considered 34 candidates, including architect celebrities like Frank Lloyd Wright, as well as some with ties to Christian science.
2: And then an architect was hired who developed a very, very beautiful piece of architecture, which was, as I understand it, approved on the first round. There were, like, no adjustments.
0: That architect he's talking about is Harry Weiss. You may recognize several of Weiss's buildings. Maybe you've seen the metro in D.C. with its honeycomb-vaulted ceilings. Or you've caught some of his Chicago work, like the triangular federal prison on Van Buren with the tall, slit windows. To get a better sense of why Harry Weiss was such a good match for the church, I talked to Professor Robert Brugman. He co-authored a book on the architect.
2: All of his architecture was in service to this idea of a new, more humane city.
0: Brugman says after the Depression and World War II, Chicago was in poor shape. Weiss believed that public buildings, like churches, were an important part of revitalization. And the Christian Science Congregation had the same agenda.
2: So for Harry, a chance to build a, a church in the center of the city where the churches had been fleeing for a 100 years was a real opportunity, and he really seized it with both hands and gave us something that really is both a modern building, but at the same time it was monumental.
0: Brookman points out that Wies designed an inspiring church even though he was not a religious man. And more interestingly, he matched the expectations of a church with a distinctive theology. I get an account from Lois Carlson. She's the first reader at Seventeenth Church, which means she leads the weekly services.
1: Christian scientists as a whole think of their religion as a very dynamic thought force, you know, in civilization. And so it makes sense that we have the best architects. And I don't say that with pride, but it's such a radical theology.
0: The religion is radical in several ways. Christian science was founded in the late 1800s by Mary Baker Eddy. She taught the material world is an illusion and that the only reality is spiritual. This idea affects all of Christian science, but most famously it means believers don't seek medical treatment. Instead, they believe in spiritual healing, kind of like how Jesus heals people in the Bible. Mrs. Eddy also taught that anyone can speak with God, so this is a radically democratic faith. There's no need for preachers. Instead, Christian scientists elect church officers. And, like Quakers, they encourage members to stand and share their experiences, so architect Harry Weiss had to build a church where each member would be valued and heard. Again, Lois Carlson.
1: With all the clutter and all the crowdedness and constriction of daily life, to walk into this building and feel this spaciousness, you know, this place for fresh thinking, a place for healing, a a place for fellowship. I mean, those are really beautiful concepts that deserve the majesty of a space like this.
0: The church auditorium is a Greek-style amphitheater that allows churchgoers to project from their seats. The amphitheater holds 800 people, but no person sits more than 54 feet from the readers at the center. And the place can fall perfectly silent, too which is amazing when you consider that the bustle of downtown Chicago is right outside. The church triumphantly opened its doors in 1968, welcoming the faithful to fill its 800 seats. But right around this time, the bottom kind of dropped out of Christian science membership around the country.
2: It was quite, quite rapid and quite deep. By the 60s, uh, this was a movement in in pretty serious decline.
0: This is Rodney Stark. He's one sociologist who's looked into declining membership within Christian science. One theory he has is that when Mrs. Eddy founded the religion, medical treatment was pretty crude. And so the idea of spiritual healing seemed like a solid alternative. But Stark says that changed.
2: Medicine got vastly better. We got antibiotics and all sorts of
0: things. So how did the decline play out in Chicago? In total, Christian scientists opened 23 churches, with at least 22 open at one time. Today, there are just six. Christian science churches never publish membership numbers because they see it as a distracting material measurement. But it's fair to say downtown Chicago's 17th Church congregation doesn't need 800 seats. When I attend a recent service, I count about 30 people in the auditorium. Dave Holy says this number is low for a typical Sunday. It's probably closer to 40 or so. These numbers make Monica's second question especially interesting. Here it is again. I'm curious about the 17th Church of Christ Scientist and how it's managed to hold on to the prime real estate all these years with all these sort of towering buildings going up around it. You might think competitive developers clamor to build ritzy high-rises on the 17th Church property. Believe it or not, the church says it's never gotten a serious offer. And even if it did, the congregation says it's motivated to stay.
1: There are hungry hearts that are looking for a deeper understanding for God. And if our church can be a home, a support to them, a welcome, an encouragement during a hard time, we just feel like we belong here because the need is so great.
0: Again, that's Lois Carlson, the church's first reader. She thinks this central location allows the church to reach new people, Okay, but in a practical sense, how does such a small congregation cover costs for the building? For one, the church was paid off decades ago. And Carlson says maintenance is covered too.
1: In Christian science, the impact of this religion on our daily living is so profound. You know, even if we're a small congregation, we're an incredibly financially committed group.
0: The church congregation is generous in other ways too. Members know they've got an architectural gem and they're eager to share it. The church opens the auditorium for community meetings and interfaith events. A couple times each month, the church hosts architecture tours. And there are also visits from big movie studios.
1: The only way our society can survive is for each of you to claim your rightful place.
0: You might recognize 17th Church Amphitheater from the choosing ceremony in the blockbuster film Divergent. Or maybe you caught the church facade's cameo in Transformers 3. In their own way, these films help explain why the congregation can stay put. The church did receive income from the studios, but it doesn't disclose the amount. So, for now, the 17th church isn't going anywhere. But what about in 10 years or 20? If the congregation ever moves or dissolves, what happens to Harry Weiss's design? Chicago doesn't have the best reputation for preservation, and Professor Robert Brugman is concerned the building would face demolition. It's not a landmark.
2: The economics of having such a small building on such a prominent, very expensive site are going to weigh so heavily in the balance if the current congregation moved out that it would be extremely difficult to figure out what to do with a building like that and to figure out how you might save it.
0: Our questioner, Monica Schrager, is definitely rooting for the building to survive, especially now that she's been inside. You almost don't feel
1: like you're in the middle of a city, you know? So it's just sort of, exactly an oasis of sorts.
0: For her, Chicago's Wacker Drive needs an oasis more than it needs another skyscraper. (laughs) Reporting for this story came from me, Ellen Mayer, I'm the Curious City intern, and hey, if you or someone you know is interested in being our next intern, we're accepting applications until October 31st. Details at WBEZ.org slash CuriousCity. Special thanks to Tamika Reed for music in this week's episode. It comes from the movie soundtrack to Harry Who and the Chicago Imagists. Curious City is produced by Jennifer Brandell, WBEZ, and AIR, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for Journalism. WBEZ's Curious City podcast is supported by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, hosting 150 public events each year that go behind the headlines. Hear directly from world leaders, policymakers, and international experts, and meet other curious Chicagoans. Learn more about upcoming events and membership at thechicagocouncil.org. Do we know anything at all about who those founding members were?
1: We don't have many big cheeses.